Morning, everyone. Thank you, Gordon, and thank you for everyone else who's kind of been involved in leading us and helping us this morning as we've worshipped. Uh, before we jump into what I want to look at this morning, or to continue to look at as we have been doing, I, I want to pick up on a couple of things from last Sunday. Uh, a few hours after the service, someone sent me a picture, because when they heard that the title for the series is All I Want for Christmas, they thought of this. Have a read of that. Unsure what to buy your pastor for Christmas this year. Trust me, they'll love this. Uh, I'm just putting that out there. I'm just sharing that picture with you. I'm just passing it on. The other thing that I need to say regarding the title for this series is that at least two people during coffee expressed their disappointment at me playing All I Want for Christmas is you by Mariah Carey as I walked up here last week. Now, it wasn't that I had played a secular song at the start of a sermon that bothered them. It was that I had played the wrong song because whenever some people saw this series title, All I Want for Christmas Is, they didn't think 1994 and Mariah Carey, they thought 1944 and Donald Gardner, who sang, all I want for Christmas is what? My two front teeth. So can I just express my sorrow? I am sorry for the disappointment that that was to people, and I am generally sorry for the disappointment that I am. Right, let's, let's get back on. It's all right, it's okay. Let, let's, uh, let's get back on track very quickly. Last week, we actually finished this All I Want for Christmas sentence with, with a word. It was an Advent word, an Advent theme, and that was hope. And I suggested that if this was all you ever got for Christmas, then that would be enough. And using the lyrics of Psalm 130, we specifically thought about the hope of forgiveness, or to kind of flip that around a little bit, we thought about how forgiveness from God, which is provided by Jesus, that is what offers us ultimate hope. If God was to mark our transgressions, sang the psalmist, who could stand? We would all be flat on our faces. We would all be without hope. But what the psalmist also knows and also sings is this, but with you, God. If you were to mark our transgressions, who could stand? But with you, God, there is forgiveness. And therefore, he goes on to tell Israel and all people, he urges them to do what? Put your hope in the Lord. All I want for Christmas is hope. And if that is true, if that is all you want for Christmas or one of the things that you want for Christmas, then you know where to go or you know who to go to to find it. Today, the second word that I want to add to the end of this sentence is another Advent one. It's another Advent theme. It's represented by one of these candles, and we've been singing about it. We've been thinking about it already this morning, and this is, all I want for Christmas is joy. Joy to the world. We'll sing that later. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people was the announcement of the angel to the shepherds. But as I said last week, Sometimes these Advent words, these Advent ideas, they don't always connect. They don't always ring true. It's not that people 
don't believe in them, don't like them, don't want them. It's just that as many people look around at our culture and our context, as they listen to various voices, as they read constant news, fake or other ways, or as the harsh realities of life, sickness, disappointment, failure, loss, death, as those things impact many people's daily lives, the fact is that instead of hope, there is despair. And instead of joy, there's more often sorrow. And there's no doubt that many, many people today in our community, in our world, maybe even in this room this morning, feel sorrow. They experience despair. And and surely despair and sorrow are part and parcel of everyday life. And so when we talk about biblical hope and biblical joy at Christmas or at any time of the year for that matter, we need to be very clear about what we mean and exactly what it is that we're referring to. And so one of the issues with this morning's subject is that sometimes people confuse happiness with joy. Or they use those two words interchangeably as if they were one and the same thing. I know we've drawn this distinction before, but it's important to clarify that happiness tends to be closely related to present circumstances and conditions. And therefore, if life's good, I'm happy. Whereas joy, joy is something deeper. It's not dependent on present circumstances. And therefore, life can be bad, but I can still know joy. This illustration kind of shows it where it says that happiness is a feeling that is based on circumstances. Joy is an attitude that defies circumstances. Or as the late James Greenwood would often remind us, what the James often say, happiness happens, joy abides. Happiness happens, joy abides. You see, joy is a God thing. And therefore, right up front, I want to say, and I need to say that unless we turn to God, unless we look to the Lord of life, we may never fully understand or grasp true and real joy. Put your hope where, said the psalmist, put your hope in the Lord. That is the only place you're going to find it. And this morning, regarding joy, I want to be explicit in saying that you will not find or experience joy in seeking it. You will only find and discover joy by seeking God. Because God is the source of real, abiding, everlasting joy. And so I want to turn to God's word. And just like last week, I don't want to turn to a particularly Christmassy Bible reading, but I do want to read a classic text about God bringing joy out of sorrow. And it's Isaiah 35, if you could please turn to it in your Bibles or on your devices. And Gordon's already alluded to this psalm or this, this t- chapter. We've read some verses from it already this morning. And it's a passage of promise. It's a passage of promise about salvation, about healing, about wholeness, about homecoming, all of which lead to joy, deep and lasting joy. So please, will you stand with me for the public reading of God's word? Words will be on the screen. Mario, if you can flick through the next couple of slides for me, that would be brilliant. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. 
Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, do be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. He will come with divine retribution, but he will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like deers and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool and thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and the highway will be there. And it will be called the way of holiness for it will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go on about it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued, they will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Grab a, grab a seat. I made the point a moment ago that Isaiah 35 is a chapter, it is a passage of promise, but I need to set it in a little context because it's dangerous, I know, to just kind of zoom in on one particular chapter in a whole book of the Bible just on one morning. So let me set it in a little bit of context. The previous chapter, Isaiah 34, is all about judgment. And the situation at this time in history is pretty bleak. The people of God are not in a good place at this point in their story. Exile was imminent if it already not started because of all kind of bad choices that they'd made, wrong turns that they'd taken, stupid mistakes that they'd made, and godless decisions. And in addition to this, they are surrounded by a number of ruthless and vicious enemies. And therefore, as they look at the future, as they look around them, it seems dreadful, it seems miserable, and they are sad. The land around them seems barren, it seems dry, it seems desert-like. And they themselves, they're weak, and they're unsteady on their feet, and they're scared, stiff. And so there's not a lot of joy, a lot of joy about. There's not a lot of hope about either. But it's into their despair and it's into their sorrow. It's into, if you like, their living nightmare that Isaiah speaks and divulges in Isaiah chapter 35, a dazzling dream. And it is a dazzling dream. It is such a contrast compared to chapter 34. And he shares a promise. It's a prophetic promise. And he says, this is a promise that is going to lead to, look at verse 10, it is going to lead to everlasting joy. He specifically says that gladness and joy are going to overtake you. You are going to come under their intoxicating influence. They're going to overtake you. They're going to possess you. But how is that ever going to happen? The people must have thought as they look at their present and dark and bleak circumstances. And I don't know if there's anyone here this morning, who as they listen to this can identify with certain, maybe even many aspects of it. Maybe as you look around at you at your life at the moment, it's pretty dry. Life's a bit desert-like. Life around you is like, like that. Life within is not much different. You just feel dry. You just feel barren. You struggle to sing those songs this morning because it's not how you feel. Maybe there are some here this morning and you feel weak and you feel unstable in your faith. 
And you feel a bit lost, even a wee bit lonely. And therefore, any talk of joy this Christmas, any kind of joy, never mind ever lasting joy, just sounds like a bit of a pipe dream. Sounds unrealistic, quite frankly, impossible. And I reckon somewhere a lot of the Israelites felt exactly like that in light of their current circumstances. So we've got to think, well, how was this joy, this everlasting joy, this dazzling dream of gladness and joy that is going to become an intoxicating influence on, how is that ever going to happen according to Isaiah, or rather according to God as he spoke through Isaiah? What exactly did God promise that was going to lead to this incredible, never-ending joy? And how does this still relate to us this Christmas. Well, let me highlight three things. Three things that Isaac, three things that God promised and subsequently delivered, and here they are. Salvation, healing and renewal, and a way home. I know that's actually four, but who's counting? In verse four, have a look at verse four, because here is what Isaiah says in verse four. Isaiah says, your God, your God will come. And not only is he going to come, but he is going to come at the end of verse. He's going to come to save you. Salvation is on its way and everything's going to change. Even the landscape, desert, parched land, wilderness, as according to verse 1, are going to be transformed. They're going to blossom. They're going to burst into bloom. Better still, they're going to burst into song. In other words, creation itself is going to be revitalized. But so are you people. Feeble hands, verse 3, they're going to be strengthened. Shaky knees are going to be steadied. Anxious, fearful, troubled hearts are going to be made strong. But how? Why? Because your God will come and your God will save you. That's the dazzling dream. That's the promise. And you know something? He did. He did. History proves that in the lives of these people. God did come to their rescue. God did save them. They didn't go into exile and stay in exile. They returned from exile. They rebuilt. They replanted. They reformed. But you know something? The wheels came off again. And so this vision of everlasting joy, never-ending joy, has got to be about something bigger. This prophetic word has got to, be, got to have more in mind than this immediate moment in history. Isaiah, or rather God, must have had something more in mind than he did because, you know, one day, one day, and now we kind of fast forward to Christmas. One day, God did come. Emmanuel, God is with us. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And why did he come? He came to save you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Do you know something? We are not held in captivity in Babylon or by Babylon, but we are held captive to sin. We are slaves to sin, but God has defeated our enemies, our biggest enemies, sin, Satan, and death, all of them defeated, all of them vanquished, vengeance and divine retribution was dished out on the cross. And it's that 
promise of salvation, but it's not just a promise of salvation. It's the fact that God did come to save, which we have just remembered here at this table. That is what brings, that is what causes joy because God saves. And this is a joy that is not dependent upon external circumstances. This is a joy that does abide because God doesn't just promise salvation, he delivers it. And so for those of you this morning who ate and drank with grateful hearts, giving thanks to God for Jesus and for the fact that he came and he came to save, that means you can know and you can experience and you should know and you should experience an abiding joy that is not dependent on what is going on in your world. Your God will come, says Isaiah. Your God, church, has come. And you know something? He will come again. There is a second advent to be anticipated, a second coming. Jesus will return, and we're waiting for that. And at this point, and at that point, sorry, our salvation will be fully eternalized. And at that point, creation itself will be fully liberated, so it'll be left to groan no more. Floods will no longer destroy homes. Tornadoes will no longer crush dreams. Earthquakes and tsunamis will no longer steal lives, and fires will no longer cause widespread devastation. Creation itself, one day, your God will come, your God has come, Jesus will come again, and creation itself as well of all human will be liberated and set free. That, that is the message of God's word. That is the message of Christmas. That is what causes and brings joy that is deep and that is abiding no matter what is going on in our world. Back to Isaiah 35, because the second thing that was promised, or the second and the third things, are healing and renewal. Look at verses five and six again. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped and then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. You see, the impact of God's coming going to be life-altering, says Isaiah in this dancing. It's going to be life-altering. Now, I'm not entirely sure how the first readers, the first listeners of Isaiah's words process this information or this promise, but let me just fast forward again to Jesus. Because in Matthew 11, we read, and some of you are here already and where I'm going. In Matthew 11, we read that when John the Baptist was in prison, his, Jesus' cousin, Whenever he was in prison, word filtered through to him somehow, not entirely sure how, but word filtered through to him that Jesus, his cousin, was doing some incredible life-changing things. He was healing people. He was renewing lives. And so John sent some of his own disciples to Jesus with a question. It was a great question. And the question was this. Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect some? You know, all those promises we have heard, all those promises we have read regarding a coming Messiah, is it you? And here's what Jesus says to John's disciples to take back to John in prison. Here's what he says. Go back 
And report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Is that echoes of Isaiah 35 or what? Jesus, the Messiah, has come. The bigger picture, the bigger promise of Isaiah is playing out as Jesus heals, as Jesus renews people's lives. And he's still doing that. He's still doing that. And the message of Christmas reminds us again that Jesus came to bring about transformation from the inside out. And so now, by his wounds, according to Isaiah 53, by his wounds, we are healed. From the inside out. I know God can and sometimes does miraculously heal us physically. And one day, he will entirely. But the healing that Jesus came to bring is by his wounds. It's a deep inside out healing that transforms and renews lives. And it's that. It's that, says Isaiah. It's that, says God, that brings joy. Knowing that you've been healed renewed from the inside out. And finally, it's a promise of a way home. In verses 8 to 10, there is a way described that is going to take these people back to Zion, which is a direct reference to the city of David, the city of God, the city of Jerusalem. This is what these people wanted and would want whenever they were in exile more than anything. They just wanted to go home. They just wanted to go home. They just wanted to go back to the promised land. They wanted to resettle there. They wanted to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And you know something? God promises them that here in Isaiah 35. And this way home is referred to in verse 8 as a way of holiness. So this is not a literal road. This is not a walkway. This is about clean hands and pure hearts. This is about obedience. This is about surrender to God. And so as Isaiah makes clear in verse 8, the promised way home, this is not for the unclean. This is not for the wicked. Rather, this is for those who have committed their ways to walking God's ways as opposed to their own ways or anybody else's. It's for those, according to verse 9, who've been rescued. It's for those, according to verse 9, who've been redeemed by God. It is for those who know and have embraced God's forgiveness. It is, those, it is for those who recognize their sin and their mess-ups and their mistakes and are looking to God for healing from the inside out, are looking to God for restoration. And if and when people walk this way or that way, God says, do you know something? You will arrive home, and when you arrive home, you will know joy. You will know deep joy, abiding joy, never-ending, everlasting overtaking joy. Jesus is the why. Jesus is our way of holiness. He himself said, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way back to the Father. I am the way home to your true home, your eternal home. Jesus is the one who does rescue. Jesus is the one who redeems. And so if you think back to our series in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, it says this, in Jesus we have redemption through his blood. Why? For the forgiveness of our sins. We need to be rescued. We need to be redeemed. And Jesus, in him, through his sacrifice, we have redemption. We have redemption. 
We're on our way home. This is not our home. We're just passing through. And says Isaiah and says, God, that is what brings deep joy in knowing heaven is my home. Heaven is our home. And so all I want for Christmas is joy. Well, listen, you can receive it. You can know it as you hear and you believe the promises of God for salvation and for healing and for renewal and for a way home. And you know, all of those, all of those are found in Jesus. All of those are found through Jesus, the one who came at Christmas and the one who will come again. And so if you're here this morning, I'm done I'm going to hand back to Gordon. If you're here this morning, and as I said earlier, if in a sense you feel dry and you feel barren and there's not a lot of joy in your life, then I need you to hear this dazzling dream and promise of God of salvation. Your God will come. He will save you. He has saved many of you. It should cause deep abiding joy. Your God will heal. Your God does heal from the inside out. He renews. That should cause deep abiding joy. And church, you're on your way home. This is not your home. Heaven is your home. And the way there is through Jesus. And many of you have chosen to walk that way. It's a narrow way, I know. It's a hard way to walk, I know. But it's that way that brings real, deep, everlasting, overtaking joy. May it be so, Lord. May it be so. Gordon.